Think with me this morning, just for a minute, about some of the greatest experiences you've ever had in your life. The deepest connection, that sense of belonging or teamwork that was just absolutely incredible. Think about the hardest you've ever laughed, the most amazing sense of accomplishment that you've ever felt. Now, also, think about the greatest hurt, the greatest pain, betrayal, anger, disappointment, sadness, and heartbreak in your life. We're only 30 seconds into the sermon and we're already going through the emotional ringer. What is the thing that connects those things? What is it that they have in common? The best in life and the most challenging and difficult in life. There's one thing that connects them. It's people. Think about it. Some of the greatest experiences you've ever had have been with and because of people. Some of the most challenging and difficult things you've ever experienced have been because of and with people. Think about family. Most of us have some of the most amazing and incredible memories and experiences connected to our families. But also, if we're honest, some of the deepest scars and baggage are also connected with our families as well. So, does Christianity help us here? Does it inform our lives, our experiences? Does it help provide us tools and power to make sense of the tension that we're often, that people are often at the center of our greatest joys and our deepest sorrows in life? I believe the answer is yes. I believe the answer is yes, and we see some of that answer from The Ten Commandments from God speaking to Israel on Mount Sinai, I think this helps us get to the key and the heart of this struggle this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what I want to suggest to you this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the freedom not only to love God, but to love people. Family, friends, neighbors... Strangers, outcasts, even our enemies. And if we're honest, we have to admit that that's really hard. It's too hard. It's too much. It's too difficult. And that's true. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why we need His grace. It's why we need hearts and minds and lives wrecked and renewed by the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. That's how we begin to love others. We saw it last week. How do we begin to love God? What does that even look like? How does it start? It it begins and continues as we are blown away, as we come to terms with God's wonderful, powerful incredible love for us. And that same principle is true. How can we love other people? How can we walk through this world and love others? It's from a place where we know that God loves us. Remembering our identity is in Him. And there will be hard work. There will be blood, sweat, and tears, and laughter, and meals, and hugs, and hard conversations, and good conversations, and fighting temptation. 
confessing our sins and forgiving one another. Why? Because God has loved us so much. Remember the preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That principle is still true this morning. So the first thing I want us to think about is principles of gospel freedom in loving people. Whatever field you're in, you start with, you study the basics. You study the principles. I don't know if we have any uh, pilots in the room this morning. But when I used to work at Delta State University, there was a flight operations major at the, at the university. So I was in connection with a lot of young people that were learning how to become pilots. Did you know that pilots, they have to learn a lot more than just how to fly a plane? They learn about a wing. They learn about lift. They learn about aerodynamics and thermodynamics. They learn about the history of aviation, about weather, about the effects of flying a plane on the human body. They learn the basics of how an engine works. They learn the basics of how a radio works and how to talk to the control tower. There are so many things that go into someone getting their commercial pilot's license. It's way more than getting a plane from point A to point B. And the same is true as we think about God's law. There are so many principles that we need to remember. There are things that help us as we think about what gospel freedom and loving people really looks like. The first thing is this. The law of God uh, expressed specifically in the Ten Commandments it shows us our sin. The law of God shows us our sin. And this is a very important principle of gospel freedom and loving people. The law shows us, it reminds us that we don't measure up. That we haven't kept the law. That we can't keep it on our own. Romans 7.7 7 says it like this. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. What is it that makes the message of Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so beautiful? Part of what makes it so beautiful is that it's set against the backdrop of our brokenness, our failure, our sins, our rebellion against the holy and righteous God of the universe. The law of God shows us our sin. And that's painful to come to terms with. But it's a a necessary principle of gospel freedom and loving others. Admitting, seeing, knowing that we've broken God's commandments. That we've sinned against Him. The law shows us our sin. Why? So we can be poised. So we can be in the right position to find the cure, the peace, the hope, and the joy of the gospel. That's a vital step. Is that something that you have admitted, that you can admit, that I'm a sinner, that I I can't do this alone, I can't keep up, I need help, I've broken God's commands, I've broken your law, O God, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against others. That's an important part, it's an important piece of gospel freedom and loving folks. Secondly, a principle of gospel freedom and loving others is that the law points us to Jesus. It not only shows us our sin, but it points us specifically toward Jesus. The law shows us our problem, but it doesn't give us the solution. It points to the solution. 
It serves, as the book of Galatians says, as a a schoolmaster, a tutor, a trainer, pointing us to Jesus Christ. It, It reminds us that we need someone to stand in our place. We need someone who kept the law perfectly. Someone who offered himself as a sacrifice for sinners in our place. The law reveals our guilt and it points us to Jesus and our need to trust in him. And when we see God's glorious, righteous standard, and we see that fulfilled in Jesus, then we can receive His mercy and His grace by faith. That's the gospel message. The law shows us our sin. It points us to Christ. But the law, the gospel changes the law for believers. Here's another principle. There are plenty of examples of this in our lives where our, our tastes or our perspectives change. When I was growing up, I hated coffee. Now I have an unhealthy relationship with coffee. Maybe there are many kids who don't, don't like vegetables, but they grow up to enjoy things like asparagus and Brussels sprouts. It's possible, kids. Um, understanding and knowing God's law Living with the gospel changes the way that we see, the way we interact with the law of God. John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, put it like this. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids you fly and gives you wings. Or from... The song that we sing sometimes, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. God's love changes the way we see his law. It transforms it into a way that we can seek to honor and obey God. It gives us the freedom to move toward other people imperfectly, yes, asking for help, confessing our sins along the way, repenting, forgiving, living life together in a messy and beautiful church with wonderful and complicated people. It's part of God's scary and amazing message. God's law, God, the gospel changes our perspective of the law as believers. So those are some principles. It points us to Christ, it shows us our sins, and the gospel changes the law for believers. What about the practice of gospel freedom in loving other people? You know, there's no substitute for on-the-job training. Remember that pilot that we talked about a few minutes ago? She has to log tons of flight time before she gets her commercial license. She has to work as a co-pilot, I don't even know, probably hundreds of hours before she can move over to the left seat to become the pilot of an aircraft. How can we practice gospel freedom in loving other people? Loving God is essential to loving others. That's the first part of practicing gospel freedom and loving others. Loving God is essential to loving others. Christians by no means have the market cornered on helping other people. But here is an important dynamic to practicing gospel freedom and loving other people. Remember that last week we talked about this order. We're loved by God so we can love God. 
We're saved by grace so we can live by grace. And the second part of the Ten Commandments brings another dynamic into that mix. We're loved by God so we can love others, love God, and love others. And those things serve as a chain. So if we love God, if we know that we're loved by God, and we love God, but we don't care about other people, something's wrong. If we understand the gospel and we care about other people, but we don't ever think about or consider our love for God, there's, there's a disconnect in our lives. First John talks a lot about this. If you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. So does your practice of gospel freedom include both of these realities? Growing in love for God and growing in love for other people. If you're really good at spending time alone with God and growing in your relationship with God, but you treat people with disrespect and you don't care about them, then there's a disconnect in your Christian life. If you care about people and serve them all the time, but don't cultivate your relationship with God, then there's a disconnect in your Christian life that could lead to burnout and resentment and cynicism. What else can we learn about the practice of gospel freedom and loving others? A thing that's really important for us to remember as we'll walk through the, the, the rest of these Ten Commandments quickly. It's this. It starts with me. Remember that. It starts with me. It starts with you. I'm sure you've heard this line of thinking. Maybe you've used it before. I'm not hurting anybody. Just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I'm going to do me. Part of practicing the gospel, practicing gospel freedom and loving others is taking God's commandments seriously and personally. God calls us to love him and love others. So when we read the Ten Commandments, if the first thing you think about is all the other people that are breaking God's commandments, then you've got a log in your eye and a, you know, the other guy has a speck. What can we do to practice gospel freedom and loving others? Let's just walk through the commandments together and think about them for a moment. Look at uh, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. This starts on the small scale with us in our homes and in our lives. The command is to honor and respect and obey your parents. The principle is to honor and respect and obey those positions and places of authority in this world. And this is hard for us to do. It's hard for us to do because we don't want anyone crimping our style. We don't want anyone or anything telling us what to do. And it's also hard because there are so many examples of abuse of authority in this world and in our lives. And so it starts with us. Gospel freedom means we have this pattern. We have a picture of what submission to authority looks like in Jesus Christ. We can humble ourselves and submit to Christ, and that's the pattern, that's the paradigm. To honor our parents, to respect authority in this world, to stand up against oppression and injustice with courage, dignity, and respect, it starts with us. Through Christ, the sky is the limit to what honoring your parents and honoring others can look like. 
What does a practice of gospel freedom look like in loving others when we think about the sixth commandment? Do not murder. Do not murder, but cherish life. Life is precious. Once life is gone, lost, or taken away, the earthly chapters are gone. The Old Testament shows us, and Jesus makes it clear, that the pathway toward murder is fueled by several things. Rage, anger, bitterness, malice, slander, neglect, turning a blind eye to those in need, remaining silent when one should speak. And here are a few things for us to think about. On the surface, this command seems simple. But what we realize is that we're called to protect and defend life because people are made in the image of God and we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us freedom to love others by cherishing the lives of other people. How do we do that? First of all, by embracing the privilege and the burden to fight for, defend, cherish, celebrate, protect Speak for, affirm, and think about life as precious. A precious, cherished gift from God. And there are a lot of ways that I think Christians do a pretty good job of this. Um, One of those ways, for instance, is affirming and speaking for the dignity and life and the rights of the unborn. I think there are also plenty of ways where we could grow in our thinking about being pro-life from womb to tomb. How can we celebrate and affirm the lives of the people that we write off? The people that we ignore, the people that we see through. What if we dreamed and prayed about ways to improve and remember the lives of the poor, the forgotten, the orphans, the prisoners, the refugees, even our enemies? What if we repented of our indifference and our prejudice and our apathy and asked God to give us gospel freedom to love other people? And that doesn't mean we have to solve all the problems in the world, but it means maybe we can talk and think and pray and listen and give and get out of our comfort zones in new and exciting ways as we think about how to cherish life. The gospel also gives us freedom to love others By rooting out anger, bitterness, and resentment in ourselves. We have the privilege and the power and the command from God to deal with, to root out the seed of murder and hatred within us. God's love and and help is key here because we can't do that on our own. We can't just... Take away the hurt and the wounds and the baggage caused by other people. We need God's help to deal with the anger and the resentment and the bitterness. We have the freedom and the responsibility to work on letting go of our anger. You can ask my family. This is one of the biggest sin struggles in my life. I have issues with control. I have idols of control in my life. And when people and circumstances and events are outside of my control because I'm not God. Uh, I get frustrated. I get angry. And I have this privilege and opportunity to work on and repent of and deal with that anger. 
We have the calling and the privilege to repent of and to confess and to work on the anger and the bitterness that's within us. And this has direct application to our church. The gospel gives us to move forward in loving others and forgiving. We'll talk more about it this summer. We're going to be going through this book, Moving On, in Sunday School. I want to recommend it to you. You know, the, the, the command and the call for us to forgive isn't so much about the other person. It's about us and our hearts before God. It's vitally important for our personal and spiritual health. health. All of this internally for us has to do with the sixth commandment, do not murder. What is the practice of gospel Freedom and loving others look like when we think about the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery, but celebrate marriage. Marriage is something in the Bible that's precious. The rest of the Bible shows us this command is far-reaching. Remember, it starts with us. The gospel gives us the freedom to love others by taking God's commandments, not just about marriage and adultery, but about intimacy and sexuality seriously. By remembering and celebrating and affirming the boundaries that God has put in place, which are best for human flourishing. This means pursuing, pursuing purity as a young person, pursuing purity as a single person, pursuing purity as a married person. And there are a couple passages that talk about this, several passages in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13, let brotherly love continue, let the marriage Be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will not, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Married, single, young, old, the gospel gives us the freedom and the privilege to love others by pursuing sexual purity and integrity. If anyone stands, what's the Bible say? Take heed lest he falls. All all other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body and against the Lord. Remember, it starts with us. The gospel gives us freedom to love others by battling lust in our hearts. What's one of the main ways and places where lust grows in our culture? It's through pornography. A powerful temptation for men and women inside and outside of the church. Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to enjoy purity and wholeness, not just externally, but internally. If this is part of your story, part of your struggle, you're not alone. And a big part of healing is talking to another person. You remember that shame and guilt... And hopelessness, where do they grow best? In the dark, in isolation. Bring it to light and ask God and at least one other person for help, for prayer, for accountability. It starts with us, externally and internally. Because we're loved by God, we can love others by pursuing and promoting purity. Don't steal, but be But serve the Lord. Don't take what others have, but work hard as unto the Lord. That's what the Eighth Commandment is about. Be content with what you have. There are so many applications here. The gospel gives us the freedom to love others by respecting their property, by by not cheating, by by not plagiarizing. It starts with us. It's about working to the Lord 
and being content. And one of the release valves for that greed and discontentment in our lives is actually the opportunity that we have to give. Giving to the church, giving to the poor, helping others without expecting a return. Don't bear false witness. Speak the truth. We bear false witness. When we do that, we take away the good name of another person. The gospel gives us the freedom to refrain from and repent of gossip and slander by giving people the benefit of the doubt, by speaking and living the truth in our lives. It calls us to be honest, to be people of integrity. Some people call this rigorous honesty. The gospel gives us the freedom to let go of the lies and the secrets and the deceit. And then the last one is simply this. Do not covet, but rest in God. In some sense, the 10th commandment is a summary. It helps us internalize all the others. We affirm life and marriage and property and the truth by repenting and turning away from our covetousness and trusting in God. So there we have it. An overview of Christian ethics in 15 minutes. I'm exhausted. I bet you are too. How do we respond? Where do we go from here? What do we take away? You might feel bad for your mistakes. You might be excited about the prospects of what God can do in and through you. You might be overwhelmed at what this means for us and for our church. What do we do? How do we move forward? What what do we do in response to God's law? Here's the bottom line. We need Jesus Christ. We need Him for the forgiveness of our sins. We need Him to transform our lives, to give us courage to pursue holiness and to repent of our sins and to fight temptation and to come out of the darkness and ask others for help. We need Him to give us the hope and the vision and the strength as we think about Loving God and loving others, getting out of our comfort zone, embracing the beauty and messiness of living life with others, asking for forgiveness and being forgiven, helping one another as we continue to struggle with sin. So back to the original question, how do we love people? How do we move forward? All while acknowledging the pain and the hurt, we do it with Jesus. We do it with Jesus in his strength, in his power, by his side, resting in him and pointing others to him. Let's pray.